John chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. It's the greatest story that has ever been told. Greater than any story we could create, greater than any life, that has ever been lived is the story of the incarnation of God. The moment when the Word became flesh and actually dwelt among us. And there was a man sent from God who told that story, who told that all was to be about him and all that was already about him. His name was John the Baptist. Now, if you're new to church, let me just bring you into the story so that you sort of know what's going on. The book of John that we read from was written from one of Jesus' best friends. But in this moment, the writer John is actually speaking of another John who was called John the Baptist, one who it was prophesied of him that he would be one to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. John, who wrote us this letter, was chosen by Jesus to carry his message on after his death. And so we want to talk about for a moment, if we could, this John the Baptist. Who was he? Where did, where did he come from? He said, I am not the light. Well, then who was he? John had uh, a dad who was a priest and a mom who walked with God. It was said of both of his parents that they were righteous, that they were blameless before God. And as they had passed childbearing age and were into their middle ages, it's, it's assumed that Zechariah, the father of John, was probably almost 50 because a lot of times they decommissioned priests. They came in at 25, they went out at 50. You could only handle 25 years in church work and then it's, it's time to go. And so they assume that he's somewhere in that, uh, in that age mix. And so his wife would have been about the same age and they were past their age of having children. But an angel appeared to Zechariah, the father of 
John, and he said this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. He said, your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and he will be great. He must not drink wine or strong drink. Uh, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the power and the spirit of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this angel gave a prophecy to John's dad about John. He said that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. There would be moments about John that didn't get to be decided for him, that God Almighty all by himself decided this would be the pathway that John should take. This would be the pathway that would be his life. And in order to bring this about, he literally filled John with the Holy Spirit in the womb of his mother. It's, it's a brilliant story. And so Zechariah takes this idea back home. He couldn't speak for months. He and his wife get together. She gets pregnant. And just as the angel had predicted, she gave birth to a child. And Zechariah called him John. I just want you to know when God makes you a promise, God will bring it to pass. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be afraid. If God promises you something, God will do what God says he will do. The angel said, this is what God is going to do. Zechariah and Elizabeth did what they were asked to do, and then God worked a miracle. And so we have John the Baptist. And so here he's in the River Jordan, and he's baptizing people, and he's telling them about the coming of Jesus. He's letting them know that there is one coming who is mightier than I am, one who I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. And he would baptize them in water, and he would ask them to repent so that they would be prepared to meet Jesus. This was his, this was his whole ministry. He just said, look, the Lamb of God is coming. Repent and be ready for the kingdom of God. That, this is what he did. And so his fame was growing. He was getting uh, more popular. People were becoming more influenced by John. And so there were a group of Jews, leaders in Jerusalem, and they asked the Levites and the priests, they said, go down to the River Jordan where John is and find out exactly who he is. We actually, if we're going to just keep letting this happen, we need to know who this guy is. And so in, if we read further in the book of John chapter 1, we, got, if we, we made it down to verse 19. We would see this moment where they came before John and they said, who are you? And then John confessed, he declared, he said, I am not the Christ. And they said, okay, well, are you Elijah? He said, I am not Elijah. He said, are you the prophet? He said, I am not the prophet. And then they pushed, they said, then who are you? And then he said in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah has said. And so in this conversation, he brings up all the things and they bring up all the things that the people were looking for, waiting for, hoping for. See, the last prophet to speak in the period of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was Malachi. And in the book of Malachi chapter four, he prophesied that there would be one who would come it would be actually Elijah. And Elijah would prepare the way for the Lord. So they wanted to know, are you that guy? 
But they weren't asking it the way the prophet Malachi had spoken it. Because the prophet Malachi had spoken that it would be as if the spirit of Elijah would come upon someone. This was the exact prophecy from the angel to Zechariah, the father of John. But that's not what they asked. They said, are you Elijah? And John, knowing who he was because he knew who he was not, he said, I am not Elijah. See, when you ask the wrong question, you don't get the answer you're looking for. Then they went on, they said, are you the prophet? And he said, I am not the prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses had given the people a promise that there would be a day that a prophet would come and that they should hear the voice of that prophet. But when he was talking about a prophet, he wasn't talking about the prophet that would be foretold to come before the Lord, but rather the Lord himself who would prophesy. And John was saying, I'm not the prophet because I already told you I'm not the Messiah. And this is where they're like, well then, if you're not any of these people, who are you? And it allows us sort of a, a picture into the confusion that the people of God were experiencing at that time. When we use this word Christ in the New Testament, it is the same as the word Messiah in the Old Testament. One is just a Hebrew variant, the other is just a Greek variant. They mean the same thing. All the words mean is the anointed one, an anointed one. There were three distinct people groups that would be anointed. The priest would be anointed, the king would be anointed, the prophet would be anointed. And so the people were looking for just the king who would be anointed. They had taken all the prophecies of the Old Testament and the ones that spoke of this coming priest, this coming high priest, who would offer up the final sacrifice for sins, he would be called a suffering prophet. They weren't looking for that anointed one. That's not the one they were looking for. There also would be a prophet, an anointed prophet, who would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord that would tell them that they needed to repent, that they needed to convert, that they needed to change their ways. Well, nobody wanted to hear about changing their ways. So they weren't looking for this guy either. Who they were looking for was a king. They were wanting an anointed king who would show up and he would literally change everything and restore a power of dominance, a dominating power to the nation of Israel so that they could be the superpower of the land once again. They didn't care about a suffering servant. They didn't care about a prophet saying, change your ways. They're just looking for the king. And what John understood was that the Messiah, the Christ, would be the fullness of all of the anointing upon one, and that was only possible to come upon the Son of God, not a Son of Man. He recognized fully what they were looking for was not what God was sending, and he's trying to divert their attention, and he says, let me bring you back to this prophet that you would not quote. You didn't quote Isaiah because you didn't want to talk about the suffering servant. You didn't want to talk about the one who would come and be the forgiveness of sins, but when he saw Jesus walk towards him, it was John the Baptist that said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the whole world. He understood what the priest didn't understand. He understood what the Levites didn't understand all the scholars and academics of the day. They hadn't put it all together, but John put it together. John understood exactly what they were looking for, and he said, I'm, I'm not that. I am not the light. I'm simply here to bear witness about the light. 
This is actually a nice life lesson for any of us, that we would recognize the point of any of our ministry on the earth, and we all have a ministry on the earth. But the point of our ministry on the earth is not to draw attention to ourselves. Rather, our, the point of our ministry on the earth is to draw people's attention to him. That they would not look to us, but that they would look to him. Because John understood he couldn't save anyone's soul. John realized if they all came to him and they looked to him to be the Messiah, he would not be the one. Why? Because he couldn't save them, but one could. And his entire mission was to point them to him. But he had to first understand what he was not in order to do and fulfill his mission. This is true of all of us. When we talk about, in a very practical way, if we talk about self-awareness or knowing who you are, it's actually important for us to know who we are. It's actually important for us to be able to know what are, what are my spiritual gifts or what is my giftedness? It, it sometimes surprises me a little bit in conversations with church people who've loved Jesus maybe for years and you'll, you'll wanna kind of lean into, well, tell me where, where's your spiritual gift? Where do you, like, where's your placement in the body? And a lot of times, many will look at you and they're like, I actually have no idea what that means. All of us have a giftedness that was given to us by God. And there is a sort of a pathway that all of you have been on. Every one of us have been on a pathway. And if you will just stop and think about what have you done that didn't work out? What have you done that didn't seem to feel just right? Where were you successful? Where were you not successful? If I could pull this a little bit out of context, the Apostle Paul said, it is that by testing that we prove what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. As you try stuff, you're testing things out, you're actually determining, is this the will of God for me? That doesn't mean that you follow circumstances in the sense that, oh, if this doesn't work out, it wasn't God. If this does work out, it was God. I don't mean it from that way. What I mean is when you try things that you're sort of interested in and it's just not a fit, that you recognize that as not a fit and you move on and you try some other stuff. Don't quit just because that wasn't it. I think, I think a lot of times we think of it because we have the Holy Spirit of God within us that we should like know all things all of a sudden. And so if I try something once and it didn't work, I might try one more thing and then I just give up. Don't give up. Keep going. Yeah, but I, I, that didn't work. Who cares? You're one step closer to what will. Like just keep persevering. It is so easy for us to just pull back and sit in a chair and just watch everybody use their God-given giftedness and us never experience the joy of giving of our gift. But don't settle. Don't just settle in the chair. Recognize, okay, this is what I'm not, but I'm moving towards what I am. John was able to say, I'm not this person. I'm not this person. I'm not this person. Here's who I am. I'm not the light. I'm just here to bear witness of the light. He never misunderstood who he was called to be. And think about it. Let's just compare, if we could, compare John and Jesus for a minute. It was Jesus who was able to travel all around Galilee and meet new people and raise the dead and heal the sick. We don't have one miracle attributed to John. Not one. John the Baptist spent his days of ministry in the wilderness in a dirty river. That's where he was. He never walked on water. He never fed thousands with a few fish and bread. It said that he wore um, just clothes that were off of the, the skins of animals. Jesus wore the robe of a rabbi. 
John the Baptist ate honey and locusts because he lived in the wilderness. Jesus would go places and they'd make meals for him and bring him into their table. We don't see that in the life of John. And yet this is what Jesus said about John. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11, he said, truly I say to you, of those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Why? Why, Why was he so much greater? Because he was the only one that figured out by the revelation of God that all of these anointings, the prophet, the priest, and the king, all of these will come together upon the only one who is worthy. And the only one who is worthy is the Son of God. And the Son of God is the Lamb of God who became flesh to take away the sins of the world. And because of the revelation given to John, he prepared the way for Jesus. And Jesus said, he's the greatest one. There's no one greater than John. And so when we understand our gift, we can actually give ourselves fully to that particular gift. Because here's the thing, you don't get to decide your gift, you just get to find it. God decided your gift. I realize it's 2023, I realize all the conversation, oh, the sky is the limit, you can do whatever you want. You can't do whatever you want. This is just silly talk. And we fill ourselves with it and we put it all over our news feeds and somehow it makes us feel better. It doesn't actually make us feel better. It makes us feel better in the moment because we want it to be true. And then three days later, when our lives prove it's not true, we're more depressed than before we heard the lie. And the problem is we keep living the cycle. But this is what we see very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. It says, all spiritual gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Not as you will. You don't get to determine your spiritual gift. He determines it. If we kept reading in verse 18, it said, but as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them. In other words, there are no exclusions. Each one of them as he chose. You didn't choose, he chose. You didn't gift yourself, he gifted you. Ephesians chapter one and verse one, the apostle Paul said, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Who made the decision that Paul would be an apostle? God did. Who gifted Paul? God did. Who makes the decision of what you're called to do? God does. Who gifts you for that call? God does. And when we understand that, we stop looking at ourselves to come up with something and we start looking inside to him to awaken that which he already put in us so that we can fulfill the calling and the mission that he put us on earth to accomplish. See, John fully was aware of his mission. We see this also in Galatians chapter two and verse eight. The apostle Paul said, and we could do this all day. The apostle Paul said it like this. He said, for God was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews and was at work in me as well as an apostle to the Gentiles. He recognized not just his calling, not just his giftedness, but to who he was gifted and called to speak to. All of you have an audience. Everybody has someone to influence. Are we influencing them? And think about it from Paul's perspective. Like, we, we see this. He said this to the Corinthians. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. And then check out the order. To the Jew first, 
and then also to the Gentile. So Peter gets the apostolic mission to the Jews where Paul gets the apostolic mission to the Gentiles who were second to the Jews. So that would make him a, what, second apostle. Did it bother him? No, it didn't bother him. He recognized his mission. Do we recognize who we are, what we're called to do? Let's just, let's, uh, I'll, I'll give this personally because y'all are looking at me, so I'll give something personal here. Um, I, I am a preacher. And like, if you have to be a preacher, then um, there are some preacher jobs that look better than other preacher jobs. And I say if you have to be a preacher, because if you're not one, you don't know what it's like to sit down and somebody look at you and say, so what do you do for a living? You're like, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, it's like a, a buzzkill right, right out of the gate. You just, you make a statement, all of a sudden everybody quits having fun. All the fun goes away. This is, this is like for the last 10 years of my life, Little League games, you go, you sit down, people's parents are sitting there, you know, hey, what's going on? Hey, how are you? What do you do? I'm a pastor. They quit cursing, they quit saying anything because they don't, now they don't even know what to say. Be on an airplane somewhere, you pull your laptop up, start to get to work. Hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh. It just, like, it ends all conversation. So I say, if you have to be a preacher, there are preacher jobs that look sort of more fun than, um, than pastoring. And when I say fun, like, there are people, they get to travel all over the place. They get to wear cool clothes. They, like, like they, they craft four or five, maybe really good sermons, and they just preach the same thing over and over and over, and they don't have to prepare every week. They're already prepared. It's easy to be instant in season and out of season when you have one message. One. But here, like, here's the thing. I could look at that, and I could say, man, I want to be them. But I don't even want to be them. I, I actually like being in the same place every single week. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't like leaving my house. I like to go around, but I like sleeping in my bed every single night of my life. I like that. I don't want to eat with a bunch of famous people. I like eating with my family. I like sitting down and hearing all about what happened in middle school today or what happened in high school today, what happened in life today. I, I like to know all that. I like to just sit. I'm a family guy. I'm just a boring, no-style family guy. And so here's the thing. So like, <laughs> God gives me a calling that fits with who I am. But here's when I can get discontent, is if I spend my time looking at giftedness that I don't have over and over and over. Not, not just enjoy it to influence me for a moment. I mean over and over and over and over. When you fill your feed with people who are not gifted the way that you are gifted, they're not going to inspire you to do what you do better or be who you are better. They're going to create a discontent in you where you want to be them, but you're not them. God didn't call you to be them. And when we understand this, we will surround ourselves with people who will inspire us to be the best us. Like I see this probably the most clearly in my house. I have four kids. And um, if we just talk about, like there are two, two certain gifts. Uh, in Corinthians it talks about a gift of helps. In uh, Romans it talks about a gift of leadership. So if we just take helps and leadership, because they seem like a contrast, but really it's like the same giftedness in, a, in a, just a different way. 
But if we look at these two, leadership and helps, and I look at my kids, they're, like, if I take, we'll just take the girls for a minute. Of the three of them, one of them is, is a boss. She will tell you what to do always. She tells all of us what to do. Another one is um, the best helper you could ask for. Like if you're doing a task and you need help, she's the one to call. She will come alongside of you and she will work until you stop working. She won't complain. She won't boss you around. She'll just, what do you need? What can I do? Uh, she'll see you reaching for something. She'll re get it. Like she's just really good at helping. Like she is a gifted helper. If you've never done anything that requires two hands, or I guess three hands, if you've never done anything that requires three hands, you don't know like how awesome it is to have a great helper. She's amazing. Now, here's the thing. There are times she's not around and I have to ask the boss to come help me. Here's what happens inevitably. In three minutes, you're working for her. She takes over the project. This is what we're gonna do. This is gonna be perfect. No, that's not, you don't want that. You're like, well, I do want that. But here's the thing, like, I love them both. There's not a hierarchy. We don't come to Christmas time and I'm like, man, this one was a big help this year. I'm going to give them more than the bossy one. <laughs> no, like you see their giftedness and it's a joy to celebrate their giftedness and it is a joy to reward them. There is a love that I have and I just like, as a parent, it's just so rewarding to see your kids find their giftedness and just literally be celebrated. I'm not one of these that if they bring home, you know, three A's and a C, uh, I'm like, why? okay, why is there a C? If the, you didn't do your work, it's not because you're not gifted, it's because you're lazy, do your work. But if all the homework's been turned in and they just don't, you know what, C's are fine. Why? Because that's as good as you could do. You're not a gifted this, look at the A. Like, where, where are you gifted? Like, I want to celebrate the giftedness. We as people need to celebrate our gifts. We need to recognize Jesus, gave, that the Spirit of God gave us our giftedness. Let's use it. Let's celebrate it. So this is what we see. John understood, I'm sent from God. They said, there is a man who was sent from God. So how is it that we're sent from God? What does, that, what does that look like for us? We need to understand how we're sent from God so we understand Jesus. If we don't understand how we got here, it confuses our understanding of how Jesus got here. So we see this in Psalm chapter 139 and verse 13. The, the writer says here that you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So there's something beyond the soul and the body that is formed inside of you that was formed by God all by himself. He did not use the help of your mom or your dad. It was just God did it all by himself. See, when your mom and your dad came together, dust from dust came together and created the body and soul that then God breathed a spirit into. Your inner self, the part of you that will live forever, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the, the wisest man who ever lived, he said, God set eternity where? In the heart of man. 
It's not in your mind, it's not in your body, it's in the heart, in the heart of man, eternity has been placed. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse nine. It says, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Should we not much more subject ourselves to the father of spirits and live? Each one of us, each person has been gifted an eternal spirit by Almighty God. Like in the moment that your body was forming, like in that moment, God by Himself gave you a spirit. It says here that you were not by the will of the flesh, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. There's a part of you that didn't come together because of the will of man, meaning the will of your parents or the will of the flesh, but rather just by the will of God. I heard Rick Warren say this one time, I really liked it. He said, there are only accidental parents, there are no accidental people. And what he was saying was that God made a choice when you came together and he fathered, he gave you your spirit. And with the spirit that he gave you, there is giftedness that was already there. It's already encoded. And your job as you get older is just to discover it and to nurture it and to use it. But who gave it to you? He did. When did he give it to you? He gave it to you in your mother's womb. Life begins in that place. Just a quick side note, when people are asking, when does life begin? If you have to kill something to keep it from living, life already began. It's, there, it's, not, a, it's not complicated. We, we, try and, we try and make this complicated. If you have to stop something, what does that mean? That means it's alive. If I have to disrupt something, that means it's living. And so this, what is living, God breathes a living spirit into that at the, at the conception, at that moment. You, the fullness of you, was created. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to understand because then I can recognize, okay, there has been put in me divine purpose. No matter if a parent wanted me or didn't want me, who cares? It doesn't even matter. I'm here. Hello world, here I am, and God Almighty called me to be on this rock no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody thinks. So there is purpose planted inside of me. All of us have a purpose given by God. And so when we realize, okay, this is how I began, then we can see exactly what John is saying because here's what he said. There is one who is coming after me who ranks higher than me because he was before me. If you know when you started and you know when he was born, there might be confusion. But when you know that the one born after you was actually before you, there's no confusion that he ranks higher than you. So let's look at it like this. Let's, let's put it on the timeline. If we take the moment that the angel Gabriel spoke to Zechariah, and then he goes and he knows his wife, then we have this beginning of a period of time. And then we have the same angel Gabriel and he goes and he speaks to a virgin girl named Mary in Nazareth. And this is what he says to her in um, Luke chapter one and verse 36. He says, your, behold your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. It is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. If we could take a side journey real quick. 
it said that it is the sixth month with her who was called barren. She was called barren, but she is barren no more. It is the sixth month. So there are some of us that we have a, we have words, we have things said about us, and it makes it look like what God has determined isn't true. But I just want to let you know, it may not be true today, but there is a day coming that in the sixth month, it will be with you who was called barren. That you might not have the miracle today, but there's a miracle that is coming. You may not see the provision today, but provision is coming. You may not see the promotion today, but promotion is coming. It is the sixth month with her who was called barren. It was seen, it seemed like it was impossible. It seemed like it was never going to happen. But what was the promise of the angel? For with God, there will be nothing that is impossible. And so we have this moment that he said, in the sixth month, it is the sixth month with her. And then what happened is the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and then Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And when Mary comes into contact with Elizabeth, and she just opens her mouth, that all of the sudden, the Spirit of God that was in the womb of Mary filled the womb of Elizabeth and John the Baptist who was six months growing in there in his mother's womb was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, bringing to pass the prophecy that the angel had given to his dad months before. God will bring it, God will bring it to pass. But here's what I want you to see fully. John the Baptist was older than Jesus. He was older. He was born at least six months before Jesus was born. And so what John was saying was, he who came after me, so John is here, he who came after me ranks higher than me because he was before me. He wasn't confused that Jesus was created the same way that he, John, was created. What he knew was Jesus was the word who became flesh. And if he was the word who became flesh, then in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. There was no confusion in John. And sometimes you look at me like, do we, do we have to talk about this like at Christmas time? Like, aren't we just supposed to ring bells and stuff? Let me just say, I love Christmas. I love all the crazy cultural stuff about Christmas, but not in the house. Not in the house of God. I like it in my house. Let me tell you, because I get a little salty about this, so let me just explain. I don't want you to think I'm more, more good than I am. <laughs> I absolutely will watch The Grinch this year. I will watch it. I watch the animated version because I think Jim Carrey's a moron. So I really enjoy... <laughs> I, I guess you can say that. Maybe you can't. I don't know. Whatever. I like the animated version. I'm gonna watch um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I watch it every year, I'm gonna watch it this year. Now, I have to watch the TV version because you know the language is a little whatever, but I'm gonna watch it, and when it gets to the department store scene where the, the lady comes out to sell Clark some stuff for his wife, I just change the channel, and I just kind of, three, two minutes, I don't know what it is, go back, whoa, gotta change the channel again. Like, I'll get there, and you're looking at me like, what, are you not allowed to watch that? No, you shouldn't watch that. Not that scene. But I'm not throwing away the whole movie because it's hysterical. Right? Like, like, I I mean, I have a great time. Trust me, nobody has more fun than me. 
But when we come into the house of God, there's a world that needs to hear about Jesus. There's a world that needs to hear about the incarnation. There's a world that needs to hear that the word became flesh. They don't care about Santa Claus. They see Santa Claus out there. They don't care about reindeers. They have reindeers out there. But what do they have in here? They have the word. They have the gospel. And so what we need to understand is that we were created, that we came after him because he's before us. And not only is he before us, but he's before all things. Because in John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. That was thousands of years after Abraham spoke and had a moment with God and now here we are he says before Abraham was I am why did he say that because he was the word who was in the beginning with God because he is God and then that word all of it the fullness of the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth and this is what John the Baptist understood and this is what we all have to understand because when we understand this we're not going to get confused we're not going to preach a false doctrine we're not going to leave people off into myths, but we will just bring them to the light because we're not the light, but we're called to bear witness to the light that he is the light. He is before all things and through him, all things were created. All things. And so we have a purpose. And the only way that we will effectively point people to the light is if we understand who we are, we understand who he is. That he is the light. And our calling is to bear witness of the light.